Hey, this is Brennan from the Future Sickos podcast. I enjoy watching hockey, but I also enjoy winning money watching hockey. If you would like to have the chance of winning thousands of dollars every week, sign up for DraftKings account using promo code THPN. Yes, you can face sick as demon, you can cure a disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickos were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 ah. Yes. What is up, everyone? It's your boy Brennan, joined by Jack today. Derek was going to join us, but I don't know if he, uh, if he forgot to check his clock or, or what was going on. But maybe he'll tune in later for the show. But regardless, uh, how are you doing today, Jack? I'm good. I'm good. I've got a new mic. I'm I'm officially ready to go. That's that's my my calling now. I'm 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 feeling good. It's it's gonna be nice to talk uh, hockey, even though it feels like things are dead. But there's still a good amount to actually uh, touch on. The Sens have done a couple things in the last few days, as well as the uh, the NHL. So I'm looking forward to it. Good talk some hockey. Yeah, it's kind of funny seeing you on here. It doesn't look like you're playing like Call of Duty Modern Warfare for once. So it's it's, uh, it's sweet to see the new setup. I mean, you're looking better than me. I, I still can't figure out how to get my AirPods connected to this. So I, I, I like. You can't the, even see mine. My, you can't even see mine with my big head. They're hiding. But I've got them in. I've got them in. Don't worry. The, the the jawline, right? That's the that's what it's all about. So oh yeah. Um. So yeah. So so I mean, like, get getting into some of the Ottawa Senators talk. It's uh it's definitely a, a bit of news going around the league this week. I don't know if it's as much kind of news surrounding the team as it is sur- surrounding the league as a whole. Uh, we kind of have had the long anticipated announcement of ads coming onto jerseys. And it, it looks like it's, it's finalized at this point uh, starting at the end or the beginning of the season following this one. So what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the, the new, uh, proposed changes to the ads on jerseys jack i know that there's been a, a, a big split online about it i know a lot of people seem to really have their backs up about it and I, i'm curious like what your reservations are if any yeah so i mean at the beginning of last season when they they used the the ticket revenue loss as an excuse for helmet ads i think we all knew this was coming eventually right uh i don't know i'm not super excited about it but i'm also i'm I'm indifferent i don't think it'll matter obviously it's gonna have to look good uh the the helmet ones for the sends especially worked out i think um i'm just brainstorming you know obviously not my job and it's only my job to comment on it pretty much i don't know what um what kind of ads will look good with the new jersey you know I, i i think bell would look okay on the black one but i don't know if they want to keep the helmet ad with the same thing um i'm just kind of i'm just kind of indifferent until i see it i guess and i'm sure some will look great on some teams and some will look terrible on others you know like as always but one one thing that i understand is the fans of the original six teams especially i can i can get why uh they're not so excited about putting an ad on their original six jersey but yeah there's been some good memes like the, the i saw the uber one uh they got the sense have to have an uber uber ad on their jersey like i mean <laughs> that'd be funny but i don't think it's gonna happen you know uh we'll see i mean also driving past the canadian tire center there's like three sponsors now i think they took down a couple there's molson canadian bell and then obviously canadian tire so I don't know what they're going to do. Got to strike a nice deal. I'm sure they got stuff in the works, but yeah. What, what do you think about them? Yeah. I mean, like 
honestly, like I, I don't have a ton of reservations about them. I, I, th- I do think that the Porsche dealership, I, I mean, they're clearly doing great in Ottawa. They're, they're on great terms with the team. I love the Uber suggestion. I know we're talking about maybe like crowdfunding this, the sicko and, and everyone kind of pitch in in the community to get him on the logo. I think, I think we could do fun, some fun stuff with it, but no, like, I, I think my big hope is that kind of like when the helmet ads were announced, it, it kind of did seem like a spur of the moment. Like, okay, like we're definitely losing out on some money. What can we do to kind of get anything that we can at this point to get by? And, and kind of the helmet ads came up and they really rolled that out rather quickly. And now with the jerseys, they're, they're going to have over a year a, a, or more or less to be able to kind of break down what that's going to look like. And I think that if teams use that time appropriately and really kind of integrate into their Jersey, I think it can look quite good. I I know that with the NBA jerseys, at least like, I know it's hilarious that like wish is one of the sponsors. And then I, I'm not a huge Orlando fan, but like that, that Disney magic looks pretty solid. So it's pretty solid. Like I, I think the way that they have worked their logos into jerseys, and I think that if the league does it in the same fashion, like in the NHL, then I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, at the end of the day, like, yeah, okay. I might, I might go to a few games. I might buy the odd Jersey. I might do what I can to support the team, but I realize where the money for the league comes from and, and it sponsorships is, is where it is. And I mean, it's one of those things where we're trying to grow the game and the NHL just seems to have more and more difficulty growing the game. Like they, they try different things. They hire TikTok stars. They, they do whatever they kind of see fit to be able to grow the game. And I mean, like we're doing well, but we, we just, we still haven't been able to get to that same level that like the NFL or the, the NBA or the, the, even the MLB for that matter are, are at. So I, I mean, I'm okay with the Jersey ads in terms of like, just understanding that that's more money coming into the team. And hopefully that's more money that, that the team is, uh, is willing to spend on contracts. Uh, I know, I know there's a couple of RFAs that we're, we're looking at getting signed. So maybe with that announcement that might uh, push the needle a little bit. Yeah. We'll get, imagine they did uh, extra cap space per uh, sponsorship deal or something like that. But I always remember as a minor in minor hockey too, like, you know, you get the little name bar at the bottom that would have the ad and I don't know if some teams would put the, the ad where the name was actually supposed to be. I always remember that being a little weird. But other than that, it's not going to take away from how nice the jersey is. And, you know, people are up in arms, especially about our new great jerseys and stuff. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Uh, but, again, it depends on the logo. Like, you can't – it's all the Robillard hearing centers, all that. I don't think it's going to be super local. I think it'll be um, – <laughs> I think it'll be more like a, a at least a national kind of chain, and because you got to remember they're going to the states too, right? Like they're going to be showing this ad off to the whole continent essentially. So they got to be thinking about that as well. Um, the Gabriel's so, yeah. or maybe like the Wellington Diner or yeah. something on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get a bunch of uh, get oil changers. You got Chris Neal had that little sponsorship. You get a big rig if Chris Phillips hadn't left the organization. Yeah. Just uh, sold some big rig beer today, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, you can get very creative for sure, and I'd like to see them get a little uh, creative with them, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I like that approach, and I do think um, you, you had a good point about the the original six teams. And um, Kevin here is saying as long as it doesn't become like the European pop yeah, jerseys, yeah. and you know, like I, I've seen this point brought up quite a bit of you know, like 
okay, well, it, where does this stop? Like we're, we're saying one, one spot this year, and then it's going to be another yep. spot the next year. And it's going to kind of keep going. And honestly, like I, I can relate to that, but I do think that like the league is cognizant of the fact that not fa- like fans are not very receptive to this. Like we're not a big, we're not big fans of it. And I think that they're proceeding with caution. I think that that's why it's taken mm-hmm. so long for it to happen. The NBA implemented this in 2016. And something that I tweeted out earlier that was kind of interesting is that the average NBA team makes $9.3 million annually yep. uh, s- since that's been implemented in 2016. And I mean, like, that's a, that's a serious chunk of money. And I, I realize that the NHL is not the NBA in, in terms of the amount of viewers that they get and the amount of sponsor dollars that they're going to get. But if they're even able to get like 40 to 50% of that, and, and that might be a reach as well, like th- that can make a serious difference to a team. And um, mm-hmm. it, it's just like another another area where they're able to make money. And I mean, we, we say what we want about COVID and, um, or, or sorry, we, we say what we want about like ownership and, excuses and whatnot but at the end of the day like we we have to be realistic and like that covid did cost these teams a lot of money like Mm -hmm. um unfortunately last year and we'll see what's going to happen this year like it 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 really did so um you know like i'm i'm for it i think that the league has to do what it has to do and um like i said as long as that money is going to a good place i'm i'm all for it with this team and um so another another thing that got brought up is it's it's a really good thing marketing wise um yep. brands are going to be able to push content um and, and have more outreach and i i think that that's just another thing that that we're looking at is is engaging all the different areas so something that we just kind of brought up was that the this might be necessary due to the lack of seats that were sold last season especially with canadian teams at least i know maybe some of the american teams were, were able to generate a bit of money at their gates but um, it, recent news, it's looking like the Winnipeg Jets have announced that they will m- more or less, um, are, are confirming that they'll have full attendance for the start of season for their home games. It's looking like Toronto and Ottawa will likely follow suit. There's a high chance that both the Toronto and Ottawa rings will be able to be back to full capacity come October. And I'm curious, uh, what, what your thoughts of this are, Jack? I think we're a little biased because we're both fans who want to get our asses yep. back in that building and, uh, hearing that is music to both of our ears. So maybe we're just kind of excited and that's about all mm-hmm. we have to say about it. But, um, just, just curious, uh, if, if you have any input on that. Well, I was just thinking in terms of the ads and stuff too, you know, the, the ESPN deal is just signed and they're doing the ads thing. Like there's going to be a lot of revenue coming into the NHL and, at the same time, Eugene Melnick is going to have a lot of revenue coming in with this team because people have been starved for hockey in this uh, city for almost two years now. You know, you think about that, the season when COVID happened that interrupted, those 70 games were probably the least interesting games for in the Senators' history. I, I can't even, you know what I mean? No one, half the team was out the door the next year. Um but they've got a good timing in terms of this team's on the uprise. They're, I wouldn't say a playoff, they're not a playoff team yet, but they have playoff hopes. Like no one's going to be super shocked if they make it next year or we won't at least. Uh, And, you know, this is a really good opportunity to grow the fan base. You you know, the attendance issue to side with all this, the drama that, you know, remember that outdoor game that Melnick made those comments, the, the infamous comments about moving the team or whatever to his defense on those comments. He wasn't, they weren't selling out playoff games in the second round. Like I got tickets the day of 
and they were nosebleeds and there were tons of empty seats, you know, so I understand that, but this is a perfect opportunity, you know, to um, grow the fan base and make sure that everyone's like in their seat, in the seats, watching these players, Tim Stutzla hasn't played in front of fans yet. And that's incredible to think of, right? Like this guy is going, if everything goes according to plan, he's going to be a world-class player that that's the kind of player that puts uh butts in seats. So I'm, I'm obviously, like you said, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I, I checked the schedule when the times came out too, and I'll be home around Christmas for sure. I'll be at a game or two. And uh, I'm just looking forward to being able to watch these guys in person. Cause some of those games last year were, were just so entertaining and uh, really easy to root for. Yeah, no, there, it's definitely no secret that there's been a large amount of optimism surrounding the Ottawa senators. I think over this past year, or, well, you know, the, the last couple of years, kind of as we've seen these prospects developing, kind of what they turn into. And I know, like, it, we, we can say what we want and, and joke what we want, but Ottawa, kind of before they, they entered this rebuild, they really were a team where they would make make it to the playoffs one year and then kind of just be completely out of it the year after. And I think that that unsustained success kind of didn't really excite the most fans like some some years when we made the playoffs i was like okay i don't know if we even really deserve to be here like it's it's awesome but we made it and we were playing in kind of this crazy style or the hamburger went on like a crazy run and it it was it was awesome but i don't know like if if that optimism for sustained success was there where i feel like now we're kind of entering something where we're like you know like i think this team could genuinely be something and they can compete and now we really want to see these players. And then you throw COVID in on top of that, where there's all of these hockey fans or all these people who haven't been able to go out and do the things that they enjoy doing and or maybe kind of took it for granted. And now they're itching to get back to an NHL game. Like they're itching to do all these sorts of things. And I, I think that that's going to be a, a, a really awesome thing in, in terms of um, the, the success of this franchise moving forward w- with this rebuild. Like I'm very optimistic that we won't need to throw up those tarps again. And, and the, mm-hmm. the, the, the higher levels, if, if we make it to a playoff game, because we'll be able to sell out for it. And I genuinely do think that, um, I mean, like COVID definitely was, was not a good thing for this organization. It, it hasn't been a good thing for, I, I mean, anyone, I don't think. And, and unfortunately some people have suffered even more from it than others, but I do, I do think that, in this situation, it's one of those things where now that people are going to be able to go out and do things. And now that people are, are so excited about this team, it's, it's, it's going to mean good things for the team. And uh, it's going to be a pretty electric building to go into. I think a lot of our ears are going to be hurrying from that goal horn pretty, pretty soon, yeah. pretty quickly. So I know Derek and I are already talking about going down for, for the opening weekend and um, it, it's looking like we'll likely be able to do it. So um, fingers crossed for that, because I just absolutely can't wait. Yeah, I, I was I got my uh, second shot there for the vaccine, and it was it was cool just being back in that building, you know. And, and it was empty, obviously, and it was it was a lot different, uh, and there for a different reason. But I, it was just a good feeling, and I, I can't help but think that a lot of Sens fans are going to feel the same way, regardless of if COVID had happened or not. When this team starts winning, the problems go away. You know what I mean? Like winning fixes everything in sports, and that's what it comes down to and uh, they've got the foundations for it. And honestly, you know, we'll get into a couple off season things for Mr. Pierre on in a second, I guess. But uh, even if he doesn't do anything and just signs the RFAs like he did, and then those few signings and trade on uh, free agent day, then this team is not taking a step back. They're still exactly where they were 
at the end of the year, which is not a bad spot to be. So uh, reasons for optimism in, in Ottawa for sure. And the full capacity is going to be exciting to watch. No, definitely. And I, I think that's a really interesting point that you brought up. And uh, it, it's kind of funny. This is one of the first times in a while where we can kind of enter a season with what we had the year before. And I think that mm. fans are genuinely going to be excited for, for what's to come on, on any given night. And that's something that Derek and I were talking about last week is, you know, like th this team's future is so bright and we're so excited about these players. And Derek actually brought up the success that the team had kind of since that, the, was it the all-star breaker <laughs> whenever the, the kind of break was last year. And, um, how we were a top five team kind of to roll out the, till the end of the season. And it's one of those things where I, I think like there's a lot of things that are moving in the right direction. And, um, we're definitely, we definitely have a lot to look forward to. I think that everyone is kind of identifying with, with new favorite players, whether that be like Timmy superstar, wh whether that be Drake Batherson, maybe, maybe it's just like that, that pesky Brady guy that everyone seems to love too. So it's really awesome. And, and they're young, they're growing and they're, they're fun to watch. And, and that's something that I think this team has, has had issues with in the past. And I hate to say it, but like watching the, the like Guy Boucher hockey, was not fun to watch. That was not, no. Those were not exciting games. I mean, Eric Carlson was, was an exciting player. So whenever you're watching a game that Eric Carlson's in, it's a lot of fun. But it, it wasn't something that I would throw on and and like be thoroughly like sitting at the edge of my seat waiting to yeah. happen because they kind of just played that that trap style. And w whereas now, like you, you watch the Sens play and they're fast, they're electric, they have skill, like they, they can do all these things and – uh, they can do it on any line and it, it's, it's really, really awesome and, and fun to watch. And I think like having a team like that on, on top of just like an optimistic future is just, it, it's, it's really led to, to something pretty awesome. So um, actually on, on that note, maybe we can start to get into some of the questions that, that um, some of the other people, me members of the sense community hit us with, because I feel like For they sure. kind of line up pretty well. So Brian Sharbin uh, came in with, is it too premature to start worrying about the state of the Sens roster for next year? With Florida making major moves and Boston, Toronto, Tampa being dominant teams, it feels like we're looking at another disappointing season with no chance of completing for the playoffs. What do you think? I'm, I understand the sentiment that the Atlantic is the, the hardest division and it's hard to make it, but you know, it's kind of, I look at it like the Blue Jays, you know, it's the baseball sends, right? The, the Blue Jays are in the toughest division of baseball and the sends by all accounts are going to be in the toughest division in hockey. The difference is it's not the first team that makes it only right. Like hockey is a very, a much easier playoffs postseason to make. But the thing that people need to, to focus on, I think is we need to look at the Metro a lot more than people are. Because the playoff format isn't changing for what it, what it used to be. Um, so the Sens can make the top five of this division. You look at all the other teams that have done well. You know, Montreal is coming off a Stanley Cup final run. You can't. You obviously can't count them out, regardless of how the Sens played against them last year. Toronto pretty much stayed the same. They haven't really done any drastic moves. They just traded goalies pretty much with Carolina. Um, I think that's it. Anyways. Uh, and then Tampa lost their entire third line. So they're going to have to rely on, uh, you know, young guys coming in and filling those roles. And then Florida, Florida's the team I'd be a little concerned about because they were technically where the Sens are 
you know, they, they might've been on the outside looking in, but they've def- definitely, definitely taken a step. Um, the thing is though, I don't think any other team, maybe the devils in the Metro have made crazy moves. Like everyone seems to have been pretty stagnant. Uh, so it's, although it's not the one day format, they have to be looking at getting in the top eight in the Eastern conference, I think at the very least, um, because not all the teams in the Atlantic are, are going to be able to be that good. Right. You know, the, I don't think Montreal is going to be very good. They got some pretty good players in free agency. I just don't – I like the way the Sens matched up against them. So in those games, I liked the Sens over them. Um, but, yeah, it's tough to say just based on – I don't think the divisions have mattered ever that much. You know, like it's been Toronto, Tampa, Boston for the last three seasons that have been the top three in that division, uh, give or take a few. But – no one's no one else has really ever pushed, and I feel like one of those top three is is going to have to bend at some point or break at some point, I guess. Um, so I think, I, th- I think that like the big thing, and in, in that that Derek and I actually like actually we we spoke about this a bit last week is that I I think that it is very very possible that the Atlantic division takes five of those yep. spots for the Eastern yep. conference. Like I, I could see us taking our three as well as the two wild card spots, because when you look at the Metro, so, so we're with the likes of Washington, the Islanders, who I think like we kind of need to be realistic. Like they, they seem to be legitimate I, every mm-hmm. year. I seem to question them. But they're legitimate Carolina who is, is legit, but then you have Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh doesn't scare me like they used to, especially after yep. they've lost now Jarrett McCann and they've lost Brandon Tanev. Those are two very big pieces for them for a mm-hmm. team that has been hurt by their depth previously. Goldtain is a bit of a question mark there for me as well. Philly, yep. I feel like should be a playoff team, but for whatever reason, they can't figure it out. And they're I mean, they're like, like sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. They're kind of like the Sens in the mid two. They're like off one year, on one year, off one year. It feels like, you know. They are. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like I, I put money down on Philly to win the cup last year and um, I, I, th- I might as well just lit $25 on fire because they, they just were, were nowhere close to it. And um, they, it's, it's funny. Like I, I really do think that they have, well, they, they have a lot of pieces that are going to be really good for a long time, but um, they're, they're an odd one. So we'll, we'll see what they do. Like I, I, I wouldn't count them out, but um, all this is to say that I, I genuinely think that the Sens have a legitimate chance at being mm-hmm. fifth place in the Atlantic and, and pushing for either that seventh or eighth wild card spot, depending on how it all works out. Because kind of like you were mentioning before, I think that personally, like I, I do not see a situation where Florida, Tampa aren't at the top of the division. Um, yeah. Toronto could maybe be up there as well. I think that the loss of Zach Hyman is going to play a, a bigger role That's... in Toronto than people kind yep. of expect. And you look at that left left wing side and um, said like left wing side and I might as well have because truly like it's it's weak like it it is weak and we're really starting to kind of see those salary woes catch up to them and I mean I Mrazek and Campbell could be a decent tandem but I've also seen a lot of years where Freddie Anderson bailed the Leafs out. Like, and, and I know that last year he wasn't strong and I think Leafs fans are pretty quick to forget about him, but like the, the, there was a lot of years where I don't know if Toronto would have made the playoffs if it wasn't for Freddie Anderson, because he was so solid for them and, and gave them uh, su- such a legitimate chance. So they're, they're a weird one for me. I, I don't see, I don't think they're going to scare me as much this year as, as they have in the past. 
Um, and then the, the other, the other piece there is Boston and Boston is good, but they're getting to that point where they're aging and, mm-hmm. and kind of that at any point, I feel like they could flip. Like, I, I feel like it's kind of just going to be a matter of time where I, I I know that it seems like Patrice Bergeron just continues to get better every year. It seems like Brad Marchand continues to get better every year. But I, I think there's going to be a year where they just won't. And, and that's not going to be the case. And and that's that's going to be an interesting one because I think that's going to happen sooner, sooner rather than later. David Krejci played a really big role there and he's no longer there. I know Taylor Hall is going to be a good fit there. Like, he, he showed that he was. But... They also don't have Tuca signed, and he's expected to miss a good chunk of this season due to injury. So they're they're going to be funny. Like I I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up not making it. And I could see I can honestly see Ottawa maybe competing with whether it be Boston, Montreal, Toronto, any of those teams that kind of drop into that three four five spot. I, I can actually kind of see Ottawa competing with them if all goes right. And yes. while I realize that that's a big if. And they're going to have to continue to grow on kind of like what they grew on last year. I think with the way that they play the game and the way that these players are developing, it, it is possible. And I, I think that we can be competitive and and maybe actually look for a playoff spot. And I, I'm not going to come out and say that we'll make it. I, I don't know that I'm that optimistic that we will, but I, I can see us being in the hunt and at, at least kind of at least close to the end of the season, not being eliminated um, mm-hmm. r- right away, mathematically, as, as people like yeah. to say. I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. It's interesting what you mentioned about Toronto. I, the Hyman thing, for some reason, completely skipped my mind because it felt like he got traded before free agency even happened. But I guess he just signed for the seven years in Edmonton. But no, I agree. I think Toronto took a step back this offseason, not even taking into account their collapse, right? Like you got to see how they're going to bounce back mentally because it's gut check time for the Leafs. They need to not only make the playoffs, they have to do damage in the playoffs this season or else it's they're blowing it up the next season for sure. So I understand uh, where, where the Leafs fans will be coming from. Boston, on the other hand, I, I do think that they're going to be still at the top, near the top, I guess, because I really like the things that they did at the deadline and then they pretty much just retained everyone from the deadline. So they're... They were really good after that. They had Taylor Hall on their second line. Um, I, I Again, I'm just thinking they did lose David Krejci on that second line. So that's a huge hole for them to fill, I guess. Um, now I'm kind of changing my opinion, I guess. I just thought of that. But uh, I, I think that it's going to be Boston, Florida, and Toronto battling for two, three, four kind of thing. And there's no reason Ottawa can't slip in there. And I think regardless in this division there's going to be one or two teams that are disappointed at the end of the season and i don't think that if ottawa misses they'll be one of them but i think that they could be one of the ones that spoils it for another team where they might be looking saying hey how did the senators make the playoffs we've been loading up for years it's ridiculous that we missed but it shouldn't even be that surprising if it happens for ottawa so i'm i don't know i'm 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 curious to see how they stack up against teams like tampa and florida when they actually play against each other because those teams are ready to win now and they are loaded. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I think uh, a competitive season is what we should expect from the senators. Not, not in lottery contention, but fighting for a spot right to the end. Like you said. No, definitely. And, you know, kind of, kind of shifting to another question that, that came in here and it was from, from Nick. Um, and Nick, uh, Nick asked, 
about the Ridley Gregg situation for next year? Does he go back to junior? Does he crack the NHL? Obviously, he can't go to the AHL. So, what's the best thing for him? And it, this is this is an interesting one because I feel like Ridley Gregg quietly had a bit of a breakout season last year. He just didn't play enough games for it to be a true breakout season. When he was in Belleville, he looked legitimate. He looked like he could be a full time talks top six AHL player and Ridley Gregg plays the kind of game that DJ Smith loves. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Alex Formanton and, and Guy Boucher when, when Formanton mm-hmm. came in and he just kind of couldn't say no to him because he was doing everything that, that he loved as a coach. So if I'm being completely honest, I think that the best thing for Ridley Gregg next year would likely be to go back to the WHL and continue to hone in on his skills and dominate and, go to the world juniors and completely dominate that as well. And, and just kind of show what his game brings and, and be a really fun piece to watch. But after seeing what he did in the WHL and actually talking to Rod Pedersen as well, who, who follows the league very closely on his show, it, it almost seemed like Ridley Gregg was too good for the WHL last year. And, and that, that was what uh, Rod came out and said is that, you know, like he he's too good. I don't think a lot of people realize just how good he is, just how dominant he is. And not just on scoring goals, but in getting in team spaces and and being an agitator and, and being that kind of guy. So I'm going to be completely honest. Ridley Gregg is the kind of guy that could play in the bottom six in the NHL and it would help his team, but it would also help him develop because he would be able to like move up to that next level. So while I think the WHL makes the most sense in terms of his development and kind of just having that one more year where he has that full year there and remaining patient with the prospect. It would not surprise me whatsoever if he is on that NHL team at the end of camp, just because he, he worked his ass off. He does all the things that really Greg is notorious for. And Mm. DJ Smith just doesn't have the choice, but, but to say, okay, kid, like, I'm sorry, like, or I'm sorry, someone else, but Ridley earned it and there's nothing I can do. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, you know, I think a good comparable to the way he plays and breaking in uh, at the league in the league at such a young age for the in the vicinity of where he was drafted in the first round. I think Kyler Yamamoto is a good example. I mean, he I can't remember if it was right after he got drafted, but I remember he made the lineup right away out of camp uh, for the Oilers. And then he kind of bounced around a little bit. He's obviously a smaller guy, winger, plays a different game. But it's one of those guys where when they show up to camp, you know, the coach doesn't care where you were drafted. And he doesn't necessarily care how old you are. It's show up and let's see what you can do. Now, you know, Dorian might have something to say, like we don't want this kid here, we want him there. But I agree. I think the COVID rules where he had to play in the AHL helped him for sure. And, I mean, it definitely hurt other players who probably needed to go back to junior and play. But you know, like OHL players that couldn't go back had to stay in the AHL. And now that's a, another wrinkle in their, um, in their development. But I think really Greg loved the AHL. He clearly played well. Uh, he, he was on the team when they were, Belva was struggling. Right. And he was like probably one of the only bright spots. I don't think Sokolov had gotten going yet. Um, but him and, uh, and then Crookshank replaced them after pretty much. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, you know, looking at their outlook at center at least for the next season, it's you're thinking, you know, Norris obviously in the one spot, it sounds like the team is looking for a center to play where Pinto was at the end of the year. 
So my guess is Shane Pinto is starting the season in Belleville. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with keeping Greg up for a couple games and then bringing Pinto up to take his hole back. Uh, I think that's something that could end up happening. I would like to see him play in the NHL a little bit. I think if he makes it out of camp, it'd be cool to see him. And if he's good enough, then why not stay? He, he just had a full year in junior, essentially. Um, and I think he could be ready to play, uh, especially based on his style. He plays D- DJ Smith hockey. So I'd love to see him on the fourth line with Formington or something. That'd be great. You know, I, I think he, I think he deserves, like, I, depending on, on how he shows up to camp. I mean, like, this is all just based on speculation and him having a really, really solid camp. And he still has to go there and prove that and, and show all of that. But I, I mean, like, I, I can totally see it happening. And I also think with, with Ridley, it's not like something else is just, it's just like all of the different things that he brings to the game is something that is just like such a strong point. But another thing is that he comes from like this NHL pedigree. And when he was drafted, he was extremely undersized for the way that he played. Like he, mm-hmm. he's, he's fairly like, I mean, he's, he's uh shorter than Stutzel, which is a little surprising yep. the way that he plays his game. But he was also like 159 pounds soaking wet, which I mean, at that age isn't uncommon. He was like, like I tweeted earlier today, like he was like the sixth or seventh youngest player with sharing the same right. birthday as Roby Yarventi in the draft. So given that, like he's a younger guy. Um, so so it's one of those things where he, he's going to be a little bit smaller. But if he comes to camp and he's put on that size and he's put in that work, coming in to to try to make the nhl team because you have to want figure that that's kind of where his mindset's at is that he's going to try it come in and and try to make that nhl team and if he comes in and he competes and has that that extra size like i i think that people need to watch out and you brought up a really good point with shane pinto and and saying like you know maybe then he ends up going down to belleville and i i truly hope that and i I don't believe that they would but i truly hope that the team doesn't necessarily like have their mind set up on that happening like i i think that if he comes to camp and that's kind of what makes the most sense and he gets those ahl reps then okay yeah maybe like i i do realize that him coming in when he did in the season last year was kind of a unique situation and he signed a contract and a big thing about that contract was getting some nhl reps and Mm -hmm. um the, the team stayed true in that and honestly though like I, I thought Pinto looked pretty good for them. Like you look at it and he quietly put up seven points in 12 games and he was a plus six. And I realized that the team was very good at that point, but I really didn't think he was that out of place. And there was a lot of times where I, I felt like he just looked smart. Like I would watch him and he would just make a little play or he would kind of like, you would kind of just catch him out of the corner of your eye and, but he would just be in position and just doing the right things. And he, he wasn't, I don't think wowing anyone with his skill or wowing anyone with the size or making all these extremely dramatic plays. But, but Pinto last season to me, like he, he didn't look out of place. He looked like he was where he belonged. And I I totally understand like the argument of, okay, well, you know, Josh Norris probably could have played in in the NHL a little earlier than he did, but they they kept him in the NHL to carry on with his development. And the same kind of goes to say with Drake Batherson and Drake Batherson had a shot and ended up going back down. But I, I think that we're at a point that, if there's players who are genuinely going to help this team when this team is ready to win right now, then we need to have those players in the lineup. And at least from what I saw at the end of the season with Shane Pinto and what I think he's going to bring into this year, I I think that he's a guy that is going to help this team. 
yeah. come opening and night. I, oh, yeah. No, and I, I agree. I think, you know, you said he was on the team when they started playing well, but I honestly think he was a huge part of why they started playing well. You know, he got the chemistry right away with Stutzel and, and Connor Brown, and he was good on the PK. He was on the power play. The offense came a little later, but he, he it got there eventually. And he's he just had those plays that made you think of Mark Stone. And I, I feel like I've compared so many prospects to Mark Stone. But Pinto was the one, like, with his stick. He just got in the lanes and he took it away from people. Uh, it was those plays that make you think, okay, this this kid's going to – he's going to make the team and he's going to stay here. I think you have to take into account, too, he was coming on to that team after playing a fifth overtime game where he was playing, like, every other shift pretty much you know he was tired at the end of the season a long year for him too so i think uh with a full off season i'm i'm so excited to see all these guys play i mean brennan remember when you were 19 20 like in a year the difference right just even if you weren't even working out or anything it's crazy how much people grow and how much things change over that time so i'm excited to see stutzel i'm excited to see pinto bernard docker these could be completely new players by the time we see them. I mean, I'm thinking about, uh, I guess, Kachuk is a pretty good example, right? From the time COVID started to the start of last season. It's almost 10 months since we saw Kachuk play. And he, you know, he was two inches taller and 40 pounds heavier, or whatever he was. So uh, I think that a full off season with the mindset that he needs to make this team is going to be huge for Pinto because it's his spot to lose, essentially, if they don't make a trade. But we can get into who they're looking at, I guess, soon too. Uh, the yeah, rumored... yeah, no, de- no, definitely, we'll we'll definitely uh, touch on that. But I, I, I do, I do just want to say that that was that's an excellent point, and it, I think that's something that is so exciting is we're we're going in and we're constantly going to see how these kids have grown. But another big thing is that a lot of these players that the Ottawa Senators have targeted or taken were late bloomers, and and that was uh-huh. kind of. It's it's very evident that that has been their approach is that they're targeting guys who are kind of just at that start of their development curve or they're just kind of showing that like they're they're hitting that part of their development curve and like the sky's kind of the limit for some of these guys and we saw that with Drake Batherson he was a late bloomer got passed over in his his draft to the queue he finally ended up getting selected a bit later got uh, drafted got passed over in his NHL draft year and it got drafted in, in the fourth round following that. And, and he just absolutely blew off or blew up. And now you're looking at him and we're, we're talking about some big money that he could possibly sign long-term. And then you look at Alex Formanton and it was a similar situation where he didn't make the London Knights. He ended up going back to his o- OJHL team and, and playing there and played under, uh, who was it? It was uh, Wendell Clark who kind of coached him and and told him to kind of do anything he possibly could to, to grow his game and get under, under the skin of opponents. And he continued to grow his game in other ways. And when he hit his growth spurt, he became well, probably the fastest skater in the OHL, if not the mm-hmm. CHL and, and, and truly blew up. And, and now we're, we're getting to see these players with these, crazy development curves like like truly crazy like it, even like Roby Arventi is another one where it's like he he's so young he set the record for the most goals ever scored in that Métis league that he was playing in and now now he's coming in and like we're, we're watching this kid and we're also quick to to watch these players and like okay like what are you going to do what are you going to do but they're so young and their potential yep. is so crazy and like 
the the growth that they make like season by season is is amazing. Like Roby Reventi was the best player on his Ives team for such a big chunk of last year when he came came up and was playing in a very difficult league, a very defensive league, a league that's hard to score in. And, and mm-hmm. he looked extremely phenomenal. And then, you, I mean, Shane Pinto is, is what started all this whole conversation. I mean, like that, that kid wasn't even playing hockey seriously until he was like 13 or 14. And th- then you look at the journey Crazy. that he's had and um, how he was like Mr. Uh, irrelevant, uh, as we were joking before, of, of the USHL draft because he was selected in the last round and mm-hmm. went to the USHL uh, and it ended up getting drafted to the NHL that year and, and became, uh, well, I mean, the, the best forward, in my opinion, of the NCD AC last year um, and, and uh, a Hobie, Hobie Baker candidate. So it, it's crazy to see how much that they've grown from a year to year basis. And I agree that this season is just going to be another one of those. Another player that I'm extremely excited to see, especially because I feel like no one really, even in like the scouting world, got to get much of a look at him considering where they had him on, on their draft boards last year is Tyler Boucher. And I I'm so interested to see what he turns out to be because in that limited showing that we saw of him for, for the U S development team um, or, or for like the world junior camp, like he truly looks like he's just a menace. He truly looks like he's going to be such an incredible player and, I, I'm really excited to see what he turns into and what he grows into because, again, it's just another example of what the Sens appear to be so so great at doing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there 100. percent I think, like you said, Pinto is kind of the uh, type A for this development curve, right? I mean, not only when from when he started playing hockey to when he got drafted, but since he got drafted, think of the growth there. Like he became a he was a face-off defensive specialist, I guess, at the start, right? That we saw at the World Juniors. But then he goes and – or going into that World Juniors, and then he goes – he leads the U.S. in points. Uh, and then he comes back, lights up the North Dakota for a bit, and then does it again gets MVP of his conference. So he his ceiling has just uh, skyrocketed, in my opinion. I think, you know, we all thought he was going to be, a, you know, third-line center maybe. Um, but now we're legitimately talking about him being a second line center next season, <laughs> which is insane. And, uh, but you, you made the point earlier, if, if, excuse me, if they find a player that's young and you could season them in the AHL, you, we're past that time. The players that have been seasoned are already on your team right now. It's time to put the players on the team that are going to make you win and are going to have a good effect on you winning. Uh, which is why I don't, want them to make a trade if it's going to be for the names that we're hearing about let alone trade one of the other names that we're hearing about and i'll let you you could tee it up if you uh if you want there yeah no definitely i i mean like so yeah so kind of with the rumblings that that have come out lately it seems like both the strome brothers may be in play for ottawa and um it, it might be that ottawa is looking at upgrading that uh, second center position as of right now for someone that's a little bit older, a little bit more established and capable of, of putting up some serious points in the NHL that, that they believe. So upwards of maybe like 50, 60 points next year kind of seems the threshold that they're targeting. And um, so I guess like both, but with both of the Strom brothers names being thrown around, I don't know if you're compelled or interested in either of them and, and what your opinions may be. I know that 
um, with, with Ryan Strom, we, Derek and I have kind of gone over a bit of our thoughts with that one, but, um, Dylan Strom is a new development and, and, and what have you thought of the prospect of him potentially joining the team, Jack? So Dylan Strom, I, I would be on board with it. Obviously this is what everyone says, but for the right price, uh, I do like the idea of getting a young centerman who could grow with the core, which is what we've talked about a lot, right? Uh, Strom would be the one. Uh, that fits that mold. The only problem is that he's had probably one pretty good season, but the rest he was, he was struggling. Right. So uh, I think that would be why I wouldn't be super inclined to just hand him that second center spot. Uh, even though it might very well work out and I could see it working out, you know, he just fits in with the core and and he's a playmaker playing with Stutzel, which is what Stutzel needs. He, he, kind of needs to learn to shoot more I think is what we were talking about before um but the thing with the, this we have to focus on is the trade uh for Strom um and I just I wouldn't be happy at all giving up a player like Eric Brandstrom for Dylan Strom I don't think that's smart asset management by the Sens and I think we all kind of assumed that Brandstrom at some point would be on the trading block I think it's too early though. I think you got to give him a full season to either a establish himself on the in the lineup or b like raise his value a little bit, right? I don't think it's at an all-time high right now and I think you could shoot a lot higher later on once Sanderson's taken that, you know, second or first spot or whatever you want to call it beside Shabbat. You have to aim higher for Brandstrom than, you know, Dylan Strom, like higher than a project essentially, because Dylan Strom would be that. He, he'd be hoping he could find whatever Arizona thought he was going to find there and that he sort of found in Chicago, right? Uh, and then I wouldn't even consider that kind of package for Ryan Strom. I don't think that the, the value, I think the reason Dylan would be a bit more enticing to me is his age, but Ryan is just older. He's expiring contract. Um but the, the the upper hand that Ryan has is more uh, – he's proved it a bit more than Dylan has, I guess you could say. I mean, I would say I would say yes or no. Like, I think that the ceiling for Dylan Strom is is higher than Ryan. If I'm being yes. completely honest, like, I, it's it's kind of funny because they're they're similar players. Where that you have to wonder if they're both products of the players that they play with. And Dylan has uh, gotten to play with Alex Debrinkat quite a bit, and Debrinkat is yep. proven now, in my opinion, that he is legit. He is a star in the NHL. I, I will go as far as say that. And I mean, he was playing on a team with McDavid. So it's a really interesting kind of situation when looking at Dylan, because you do have to wonder if he's able to drive that play by himself. Um, but I do think that he would be a swing that's worth taking for the right price. So I, I think mm -hmm. it kind of all comes back to what you were saying about like, well, I, I, I that's not really someone that I want to move Eric Brandstrom for. And I, I think I, I totally get that. Like, I mean, like it, it's, it's hard. If, if Dylan Strom is a number one or a number two center, then yeah, you, you can move Eric Brandstrom for him and it makes sense. But I don't know that Dylan Strom is a number one or a number two center. And I, I, I think like, if anything, I kind of believe that less now than I did a couple of years ago, because he did go to Chicago and he finally started to produce and we kind of thought he was coming back to or turning into what he was always meant to do. And and now he's two years removed from that. And, um, and, and I feel like it's not from a lack of opportunity. I feel like he's gotten to play with some pretty solid players there. So 
So it's a tough one. I, I, I don't know that that's a move I'd be happy with if the Sens went ahead with that, um, if that was what the move was. Now, if it was for something other than Brandstrom, like maybe the price isn't as high for a Dylan Strom, or maybe they're able to work something else out, then he's definitely the kind of guy that I would love to see this team take a chance with because that, that is kind of that really high upside swing that that we would love to see this team go through with and another name that again Derek and I have brought up but I I do think would just be a, such a great fit and, and Derek has as well is, is if Thomas Hurdle is available like I, I feel like now that's the kind of guy that would be worth paying that Brandstrom price for and again like in no way do I want to shop Eric Brandstrom I I'm a huge fan of Eric Brandstrom's game he was probably my favorite player to watch down that, that last bit of the stretch of the regular season last year, because when Shabbat went out, he was just so dynamic and and he, he really handled that like a pro. Um, but, but I do realize that at the end of the day, he's likely going to get caught behind that Shabbat Sanderson set up on that left side who, who can likely play 45 to 50 minutes a night combined through the two of them. Um, and I just don't know that Eric Brandstrom is needs to be in a in a third pairing position as much as that would be awesome like it, it would be great to have that strong of a team like it, it might make sense to move that kind of valuable asset um because i, I do think he's a valuable asset for mm-hmm. for something that might better or make more sense for this team yeah i agree and i think i think you made a good some good points about strom dylan strom in fact i, I think he's you know he's got two years left at three million. Uh, what next season is two point four, and then the season after that's three point six. So it, it averages out to three million per season. And I don't know that that's that's a pretty achievable deal for the Sens. I'm not gonna lie in terms of uh, salary and stuff, but I just don't think that he would do much more than say a Colin White. I don't know if that would be you know uh, a huge upgrade i guess my my point is if you're gonna make a trade you might as well move white with it and then like a pick or something if that's the deal right because colin white is that fringe third line center right now i guess for the sens right uh and they're both drafted at the same time white makes more money uh than strom does right now so I don't think Chicago would want to go for that anyways, but I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking about the lineup the Sens finished the season with and, you know, Tierney was scratched that last game. So it was, um, it was Norris Pinto white. And I'm trying to think of the fourth line. I think it was Parker Kelly uh, in that fourth line center role. So, you know, Strom would obviously slide into the second line, and I think you're right in terms of the value for him. I don't think that if they're asking for Brandstrom, the Sens are going to bite. I don't think that's uh, the the trade they're looking for. Hurdle would obviously be the uh, way to go if you're going to get a high-end center because he's been proven for years. I wanted Hurdle or even Meyer in the Carlson trade. I was I was looking for their names, and I couldn't, couldn't figure out why they weren't attached to it. But... Uh, yeah, and the point you made about about Brandstrom and and getting traded at some point, you know, I, I do think his value is high, but it's just I don't I don't think it's as high as it could be at the moment, and it's not as high as it would be if he played a full season. Um, and that's you can't you can't. I'm just kind of going all over the place here, but 
you can't move Branstrom this off season and go in with that blue line and expect to do well is my point. Like we need Sanderson and that's very clear, but Branstrom was so good at the end of the season. And he was so good when he got actually got a chance to play regularly in the lineup and away from good Branson, you know, him with Zub was just a great pairing. Like they were small, but they were on the puck. They moved the puck. I think there was a quote that I went around. I think Norris said it. He said, Brandy moves pucks. That's all forwards want. Just move the puck up the ice. It's literally a universal thing in hockey, and it's a hard thing to do for a defenseman. But once you, when you know how to do it, you know how to do it. And Branstrom and Shabbat were, I guess, the only puck movers per se with Mete, I guess, too, on that left side. Um, so moving one of those away for a center is a is a – a good idea, I think, once Sanderson arrives. I don't want to use Branstrom in a package until Sanderson's established himself on the blue line. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Even for Hurdle, like I'd be a little skeptical to, to move Branstrom for a guy like Hurdle when you're just leaving a huge hole in your blue line now that you can't fill until the end of the season with uh, Sanderson from North Dakota. Yeah, no, I, like I, I do think that that's an interesting point because it's like, well, we'd be making that move ahead of time knowing that Sanderson's coming in, but it, you kind of need that stop gap. And I mean, maybe that team, the team does see Dills auto and Holden as the stop gaps as, mm-hmm. as well as Mete. And maybe they truly believe that they can um, compete with that as their decor, if they're able to up, upgrade at center, but it is a really unique, unique th- situation because you could end up making a move that that does actually hurt your team a little bit more this season because you're, you're not going to have Sanderson around and um, kind of an interesting point that you brought up about the Tierney and the Colin White contracts and if the Ottawa Senators were somehow able to rid themselves of both of those I know that Chris Tierney's contract will be done at the end of this season but if if they were able to rid themselves of both of them right now you'd be looking at eight million dollars roughly give or take in cap space mm-hmm. that they would have available. And in my opinion, w- when you're looking at this team, you're looking at $8 million. Like I feel like you need to go out and get an $8 million center. And I'm not saying like you need to go out and get a guy who is necessarily making that less than that, more than that, like th- that kind of dollar amount, but a kind of player that is that good of quality. And-, and I think that that's what this team is missing. And I think that the money is there if they restructure it and find a way to go about it appropriately. So I, I'm kind of going to leave the, the, my, my part of this episode, at least with that is that I is, is Dylan Strom that $8 million player is, is he what, what that represents is, is Dylan Strom that, that top six guy is Thomas hurdle, that top six guy is Jack Eichel, that top six guy. I, I don't know. I don't know who it is. And maybe it's someone that's not available right now, but I, I genuinely think that that is what this team needs is they need that, number one bonafide number one yep. center and, and if they're not bonafide yet someone that they're sure as shit is going to be bonafide very soon and very shortly and and i i i just think that that really needs to be their target and if they just if they go out to try to find someone that they're taking a swing on because it's going to save them a bit of money or they're going out and they're they're chancing it with the guy that is is kind of not anything more than a second line center, not, not a great number one center. I just, I don't think that it's the right fit for this team. I don't think it's what's going to put this team over the top. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think putting this team over the top is the the notion, right? And that best, like that, that top center that you, you can't trade for, but people seem to end up trading for anyways, you know, that's, 
a move that they should be looking to make, I think, next offseason after they've let this roster grow and have a competitive winning season. But and and growing, meaning keeping Brandstrom with that group. Um, I just think that you know, money has to be a, a factor. And I think unfortunately, I feel like that's why the an Eichel trade isn't happening. Just that's a big cap hit to carry the 10.5 and you know it's enticing obviously because he's under control for six years but it's a big cap hit and a big price to pay as a trade which is why i understand why they're not doing it because this isn't the nba you don't just trade every asset you have and sign a 40 million dollar contract um the other thing though is that i mean brandstrom i think eventually brandstrom is going to end up being the trade chip that we use to get that player that you're talking about you know a lot can happen. It could, it could end up being Tim Stutzla for all we know in like three years. Who knows, right? God forbid, because he's already a fan favorite. But you know what I mean. Uh, it's hard to tell. So, well, Tim Tim Stutzla could also very easily be our number one center, and I think that that's something exactly. that yes. something that I, I mentioned earlier today as well is that you look at um, you look at Ridley Gregg, you look at Roby Urbenti, you look at Alex Formanton, and if any of those guys are, and I mean any of those guys could be top six. Left wings. I think that Formanton mm-hmm. likely will be. Greg likely could be, and, and I genuinely think that Yarventi has the potential to be a top six scoring left wing yeah. as well. And if that happens, all of a sudden that shift for for Tim Stutzel to center just becomes that much easier oh. for the Sens. Now there's not a, a hole on that left side, and and me and you know what? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he is that guy. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you're not that guy. Am I? <laughs> am, am I that guy? You're not that um, guy. <laughs> he's that guy. But no, and, and like and, and maybe that's what it turns out to be. So yeah, sorry to cut you off, but oh kind no, of, kind no. Of another uh, thing that we have to keep in our in the back mind, and, and also another yeah. reason why we need to be patient. And and that's a good point because I think going into the season, especially when Timmy was drafted, I was I was on Team Byfield because we need that center, right? And he was it; it was right there. But when Byfield was gone, you know, Stutzla, the the thinking was he's a winger that can play center. So it was okay. What's going to happen? He didn't get a single. I think he got like one shift at the end of a blowout game at center with Kachuk or something like that. Um, but he didn't really get a real look. And the other thing people need to think of the more the NHL progresses into this speed and smaller game, which it has been in the last few years, positions at forward are going to matter less and less. I mean, look at Edmonton because McDavid and Dreisaitl play together all the time and they're both franchise centermen, right? When McDavid and Dreisaitl play together, McDavid's left wing. It doesn't matter. You could have, um, I mean, even Brady, Brady Kachuk takes faceoffs more than Nick Paul or more than uh, Colin White. You know, you look at his face-off percentage after every game. So I don't think it's going to matter. It's just a matter of, you know, who is the player that can drive play from the middle. And you have to you have to think that Tim Stutzler can do that regardless of what position he's playing. So, you know, having a second-line center like Shane Pinto is not a bad thing if he's playing beside well, Stutzel the entire time. Right? He wins He wins a lot of draws, so yep. he, might, he might honestly just – just make the most sense for, for a few different reasons. So um, before, before we let go, I just, I want to thank you for coming on Jack. It was, it was a great conversation reading this comment of get Timmy yeah. to lure, try settle over with the shawarma palace trio. And, 
<laughs> that's all it takes, baby. Just some of that German yeah. love. So who who doesn't love shawarma? It's just a <laughs> worldwide thing. But man, I I am looking forward to shawarma. I'm looking forward to the Sens playing again. Looking forward to being back in Ottawa. And thank you to everyone who tuned in and and take care and stay classy, Ottawa Valley.